Well, good morning again. Several years ago, um, I was standing on top of a six-foot ladder. Not anything special. I have a fear of ladders because of this now anyway. Um, I was standing on top of a six-foot ladder. I was in a ceiling um, doing some work, and I didn't pay attention to the warning that's on the ladder, if you've ever been on one, that says, don't stand on the top step. But I did anyway, because I defied that ladder to move, and guess what? It did. And as it moved, if you've ever been in that situation, like, time slows down, you feel like you have superpowers, and you go through the thoughts in your head, and I felt like a hundred were going through, the one that I can remember was, this can't be real, this is not happening, the ladder's not going to fall. But I came to reality when I came literally crashing down, and in that second, all I thought was, stick the landing. (laughs) Fortunately, there was no one to, like, witness this, but I stuck the landing. Problem was... Falling from that distance, I wasn't ready for the impact, and I had somehow didn't, I didn't land evenly, although I landed flat-footed, um, and all of the energy of all the weight that I had came down on one foot, and that energy just found one spot, one toe to exit. And when it did, I knew where I was headed. And so I spent the next two hours or, or more in the waiting room and then getting x-rays and waiting for the doctor to come in. And when the doctor came in, um, he looked at the x-ray and he said, yeah, sorry, should have prepared you for that, right? But if I had to go through it, at least, at least you could look at it. Um, I knew there was a problem. And so he comes and says, well, your toe is dislocated. And I was like, oh, that makes sense. Um, And he said, what I'm going to have to do is I'm going to have to reset it. And when I do that, it's going to be a little uncomfortable. I'm going to just pull on it a little bit. When he said little uncomfortable, I really wasn't prepared. And so it felt like an eternity that he was pulling on my toe. And as he was doing so, I came to the conclusion that if ever I was tortured for information, if all it took was a little dislocated toe and a little bit of pulling on it, I might as well just give it up right at the beginning and save myself some trouble. And the doctor must have had the same conclusion too because he was like, this shouldn't really be hurting that badly. And then so he decided to order another x-ray. So I waited another hour. And he comes back in after that x-ray, after he has read it, and he's like, you know what? There's a reason why you're in so much pain. I looked at the second x-ray to make sure I set everything right. And when I did, I saw that your toe was also broken. You know, that would have been nice to know from the top. But... uh, there wasn't a fun day. It wasn't the worst day, but it wasn't a fun day. I don't like to suffer. I don't like pain. I don't know about you, but I don't think anyone relishes the idea of suffering. No one asks for suffering. No one wakes up and is like, today's the day that I want to break my nose. Today's the day that I want to fill in the blank. No one wakes up and says, today's the day that I hope my world turns upside down. No one says, today is the day I hope I lose someone I love. No one wakes up and says, today is the day that I hope I struggle with a disease that I can't seem to overcome and I don't think I have a way out of. No one wakes up and says, today is the day that I hope my mind just doesn't work like it should. And no one says those things because suffering is all too real, right? It's all around us. There's good odds that many of us in this room experience it from time to time, or those we love are even experiencing it right now. And so maybe you've experienced that kind of suffering, whether it be physical, mental, or emotional. 
We've all experienced it. But maybe, just maybe, some of us in this room have experienced suffering that falls under those categories, but it only does so because we're experiencing it because we follow Jesus. And that's where God meets us in the words of Peter today. So we're going to jump right in. And you guys ready? You know, buckle up. Because we're going to hit the whole fourth chapter. So here we go. It'll be on the screens for you, or you can follow along in your Bibles. So from the fourth chapter of 1 Peter, verse 1. So then, since Christ suffered physical pain, you must arm yourselves with the same attitude that he had, and be ready to suffer too. For if you have suffered physically for Christ, you have finished with sin. You won't spend the rest of your lives chasing your own desires, but you will be anxious to do the will of God. You've had enough in the past of evil things that godless people enjoy, their immorality and lusts, their feasting and drunkenness and wild parties, and their terrible worship of idols. Of course, your former friends are surprised when you no longer plunge into the flood of wild and destructive things like they do. So they slander you. But remember that they will have to face God, who stands ready to judge everyone, both the living and the dead. That is why the good news was preached to those who are now dead. So although they were destined to die like all people, they now live forever with God in the Spirit. The end of the world is coming soon. Therefore, be earnest and disciplined in your prayers. Most important of all, continue to show deep love for each other. For love covers a multitude of sins. Cheerfully share your home with those who need a meal or a place to stay. God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve one another. Do you have the gift of speaking? Then speak as though God himself were speaking through you. Do you have the gift of helping others? Do it with all the strength and energy that God supplies. Then everything you do will bring glory to God through Jesus Christ. All glory and power to him forever and ever. Amen. Peter says amen, but he's not done. Verse 12, dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery trials you're going through. As if something strange were happening to you, instead be very glad for these trials make you partners with Christ in his suffering. So that you will have the wonderful joy of seeing his glory revealed to all the world. If you're insulted because you bear the name of Christ, you will be blessed for the glorious spirit of God rests upon you. If you suffer, however, it must not be for murder, stealing, making trouble, or prying into other people's affairs. But it is no shame to suffer for being a Christian. Praise God for the privilege of being called by His name. For the time has come for judgment, and it must begin with God's household. And if judgment begins with us, what terrible fate awaits those who have never obeyed God's good news? And also, if the righteous are barely saved, what will happen to godless sinners? So if you're suffering in a manner that pleases God, keep on doing what is right. And trust your lives to the God who created you, for he will never fail you. Let's pray. God, this is your word. You have preserved it for hundreds of years, Lord, even thousands of years. And today we read it because within the pages of this letter by Peter... Through human thought, through human hand and expression, by your spirit, God, you have revealed yourself to us today. What you have given us here 
through the writing of Peter is a call to be obedient to Jesus, even in the face of suffering. Because we can't separate suffering from following Jesus. God, you reveal through your word that it will happen. So encourage us today through Peter's writing and change our minds and our hearts as we get insight through your word and your spirit into your heart and mind, God. It's by the power of Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So when I was studying this passage and I knew I had all of chapter four, I, I was struggling with, with the passage because what Peter says is very convicting. But I was also struggling with where we would begin or how we would tackle it. And after I was reading it and rereading it and rereading it, I just felt like it was good for us to sit in the whole chapter so that we didn't miss anything. And I encourage you to please reread it again um, after today. But we're going to now kind of dissect and uh, just digest some chunks. So as I mentioned from the top, no one likes to suffer. And if we're honest, most of us probably have dedicated many like, big sections of our lives to making sure that we don't suffer or that we don't re-experience the suffering that we've experienced in the past. And Peter spends a good chunk of his message in this letter on why we suffer for Jesus and how to live a life submitted to Jesus in the midst of suffering. And so he starts by saying, verse 1, So then, since Christ suffered physical pain, you must arm yourselves with the same attitude he had and be ready to suffer in the chapter before this, Peter says in verse 18, Christ suffered for our sins once for all time. He never sinned, but he died for sinners to bring you safely home to God. He suffered physical death, but he was raised to life in the spirit. And so Peter is referencing this section of what he already said when he says, so then. Because Christ suffered physical pain in our place and he suffered for our sins, we must be ready to suffer as an act of submitting to Jesus. And this is, this is heavy for us. Um, and we're going to jump into this and really kind of try to apply it to where we sit today. But what Peter is diving into in chapter 4 is not the stuff that's flashy and attractive, but we need to hear it. He's talking about Christian living, and it's, it's hard. But it's where the rubber meets the road in submitting to Jesus and living for him. And just as a reminder for Peter's original audience, submitting to Jesus and following Jesus meant being targeted and hunted by the Romans around them. And even betrayed by the very people that they used to call their friends, all because they identified with Jesus now. And Ben Cantler several weeks ago gave us some good insight into what it might have been like to be a Christian under the rule of Emperor Nero. Nero. But like just hitting that at surface level doesn't really even begin to, to talk about what it would have been like to suffer through that time. But Peter's already laid the groundwork for the idea that when you follow Jesus, you'll be thrown into struggle because the world around us is at war with the things of God. So in this verse, he says, arm yourselves with the same attitude that Jesus had. This word arm jumps out to me, and I think Peter used it intentionally, because it communicates the sense of urgency that he feels and that he knows those around him who follow Jesus feel. But it also sets the stage for war. And when you're preparing for war, you arm yourself. Now, I don't know this personally, 
I, I've watched a ton of movies. I've read a lot of accounts of soldiers' lives. I've studied history. So I know it from that perspective, but I don't know it from a personal perspective. But when you prepare for war, you do a couple of things when you arm yourself. The first is that you put on armor. And now since armor has been invented, it's taken on many different shapes and forms, even till, until today. But soldiers always arm themselves to defend themselves against the enemy's attack. But soldiers also choose their weapon of choice that will best defend them against the enemy or attack the enemy. And what Peter says is our weapon of choice, as we follow Jesus, should be taking on the same mind that he had. You see, Peter is no stranger to what it means to prepare for battle. Because just a little bit before he writes this, just several years before, we, we see in the Gospels is that Peter, when Jesus was being arrested, he jumped to the, to the conclusion that it was time to jump into the fight. And so he drew his sword, he swung it at the closest person, so you know he wasn't very prepared. I don't think he's ever been in battle before, but he was ready. So he swung his sword at the closest person, and he ended up hitting the ear of the slave of the high priest and cutting off his ear. Jesus picks up the ear, puts it back on his head, and heals him like it never had happened. And this is what we find that Jesus says to Peter. Put your sword back into its sheath. Shall I not drink from the cup of suffering the Father has given me? See, Peter's been here before, ready for war, ready for battle, and he jumped the gun. He missed the point. He jumped into the physical fight. And it was the wrong battle. And so Jesus calls him out and says, don't fight that way because I'm about to take on the battle to end all battles and how I will fight it is through suffering. And so Peter conveys a sense of urgency to his readers to confront the reality that they will suffer because he's tried to literally fight against suffering physically in the past and Jesus redirects him. Because suffering is inevitable for the follower of Jesus because that's how Jesus fought and won the battle against sin. Suffering is a part of of the war against sin that we can't separate. And Peter gives the idea here that whether we like it or not, when we take on the identity of Jesus upon our lives, we join the battle that he's already waged. So Peter gives us this idea that we're in it now. But we're to arm ourselves with the same attitude, same mind, same way of thinking, same purpose that Jesus had in his suffering. Like I've said, Peter and his readers were facing imminent danger and threats because they were marked as enemy combatants in their world. And last week we talked about baptism, and, and Mike told us the, of, of the importance of baptism and, and meeting our Savior in obedience in the waters of baptism. And it's no like happenstance that Peter included baptism in his encouragement and letter to those who were literally dying for their faith. Because what Peter was saying was, what you live for in Jesus is so important that you should be ready and willing to mark yourself publicly to the world around you as a follower of Jesus. And so when you meet Jesus in the waters of baptism, you're also saying to the world that I am remade by Jesus and for his readers, it meant 
that they were likely marked for suffering for sure and possibly even for death. Peter continues on in talking about sin and but also talking about our relationship with people who will cause suffering in our lives because of the name of Jesus. And he says in verse 5, For you have suffered physically for Christ. Sorry, verse 1. And you finish with sin. You won't spend the rest of your lives chasing your own desires, but you will be anxious to do the will of God. See, all along Peter is communicating his importance of how we need to submit to Jesus. And he reassures us here that when we suffer for the sake of Jesus, we put an end to sin in our life. Now, a lot of people misunderstand this, and they think that what Peter is saying is that when we, when we put our faith and trust in Jesus, when we submit to him, that we no longer can sin. But that's not what Peter is saying here. He's saying that the power of sin no longer has a hold on our life. It no longer dictates our next steps because we replace our desires with the will of God. And the version we're reading from today, the NLT, I love what it says here. It's just like a minor distinction um, in what Peter says here in this passage. But, but I love just the color it brings to understanding this. He says, but you will be anxious to do the will of God. Anxious is not really a word that we use in a positive, right? And if you experience anxiety in your life, you know that it's not a positive. Um, the Smith family in, in this last year has learned much, much more about anxiety than we care to, to have known about. And I say that because this is just a total side note. But if you experience anxiety and it's something that you struggle with in your life, um, Dana and I would, would love to, to talk with you and we would love to hear just how you are living your life. And we'd love to share what God is doing in ours as we struggle through anxiety. But that's not what Peter is talking about here. He says anxious but he's using it in a positive way, not a negative way. But if you know anything about anxiety, you know that anxiety in its fullest form will not allow someone to act on their desires. They might know what is right. They might know what they want to do, but their anxiety won't allow them to act on it. And however irrational that seems, it just doesn't make a way to be possible. And so Peter takes what we see as a negative, but he can turn this around into a positive. So he says, Peter says that because the mind of Christ has replaced your desires, now you want to irrationally do God's will, even though it conflicts with the desire of sin and human nature. Because through the power of Jesus, sin has been put to death in you. And that's so pivotal to our understanding of this passage today. Because submitting to Jesus goes against our desires. And that's the beginning of suffering for Jesus being used as a weapon against sin. And Peter launches into this next part, and he says that those who cause suffering in your life because you follow Jesus, he, he paints a picture of how we should react to them. And he says we shouldn't react in hostility. He says because, in verse 5, but remember that they will have to face God who stands ready to judge everyone, both the living and the dead. But when Peter says this, he's not saying that like a, just remember, God's got him. So don't worry about it. He'll take revenge. That's not even what he's saying. He follows it up with, 
That is why the good news was preached to those who are now dead. So although they were destined to die like all people, they now live forever with God in the Spirit. And so Peter sets the stage of responsibility for us that the people who even cause us suffering, we shouldn't react with being angry or retaliating against them. Instead, we should realize that they will face judgment just like we will, and that without Jesus, they face the judgment of God with no hope. Because of Jesus, we get to be that hope. And then Peter kind of hits us over the head with a cryptic statement in verse 7. He says, the end of the world is coming soon. I don't know about you, but in the times that we've been living through, sometimes it kind of feels that way, doesn't it? And I've heard it said by many Christians, and I know it's probably very well-meaning, because obviously Jesus could come back at any point, right? But this phrase gets thrown around like, oh, it's going to happen soon, I know it's going to happen. Christians from the time that Jesus has left this earth have been obsessed with connecting what God has said in his word about how the end will come about to their current times. And it's happened throughout all time. And we always think that the time we're living through is the worst time that anyone has ever lived through. Peter's not necessarily saying that the end is coming and Jesus is coming back. So let's not be distracted by what he's saying because I think it's really easy to be distracted. And so I don't want to run down the rabbit trail, but I do want to kind of hop on it for a second because here's a hot take. This phrase, the end of the world is coming soon, is a distraction for us because we're always looking for a way out. No matter what situation we find ourselves in, we're always looking for a way out. It's easier to, to not have to deal with what's in front of us, the pain, the responsibility, the disappointment, the failure, the betrayal, the suffering. And so we look to the hope that we have in Jesus and we say, you know, it would be so much easier if Jesus just would pluck us out and take us to be with him. And yeah, it would be. But all too often, I think we use that, that hope to attempt to escape responsibility for now. Even if we don't actively do it, we subliminally do it. So don't use the hope you have in Jesus as an attempt to escape the responsibility you have for how you live your life right now. Peter says the end is soon. So arm yourselves with the mind of Jesus, ready to suffer for his glory. And see, Peter's purpose wasn't to predict the end. Rather, it was to encourage us to take responsibility for living for Jesus now. If, G if Peter was trying to predict, he did a very bad job of it because it's been almost 2,000 years since he said those words, and soon is not soon enough. But he did it to encourage his readers that even though they face suffering now, what Peter is really saying is that the end is near for them. That because they follow Jesus, most likely they will meet an untimely and quick death, and the end is near for them. So take courage. And as I studied this passage, I think the thing that stood out for me was just the disconnection that I see between what is happening in 1 Peter and what we live through, especially here in the American church in 2021. And so I asked myself this question. Why was the church in Peter's time suffering so horribly and dying for their faith in Jesus? 
And as we kind of think about that, that's a loaded question, right? We could spend a lot of time dissecting it and diving into to why. Why the difference between then and now? And we should, but I want to strip it away to its core. And this sounds simplified, but I think the reason that they were suffering and dying for following Jesus is because they were dying to themselves and fully submitting their desires to King Jesus. You see, there's power when we submit to Jesus because he has won the victory over sin and death. And that causes fear in a world that's aligned with sin. And fear, when it's acted upon, leads to hurt and suffering for those that become the target. And because of Jesus, when we take on his identity, we become the target. Because submission to Jesus declares war. And by submitting yourself to King Jesus, you are joining the battle that he's already waging against sin. So what do we do with this? Suffering and following Jesus is inevitable according to Peter. So how do we respond? Peter says to his immediate audience and us today, this is how we should. Therefore, be earnest and disciplined in your prayers. Most important of all, continue to show deep love for each other. For love covers a multitude of sins. Submission to Jesus results in love. Unbridled, unfiltered, unified love. So maybe the real question for us today is, why don't we often suffer for our faith in America in 2021? And I'm not making a blanket statement that none of us do. But the key word there is often. And I think the answer is uncomfortable because it makes me uncomfortable. Maybe we compromise too much. Maybe it's the thousand little things that we don't say no to. Maybe it's the fact that we're too consumed with getting along with the world that we don't stand out like Jesus intends us to. Maybe it's because we make a big deal about what we feel like we are entitled to. And I'm not making a political statement here, but I'm even saying, even as American citizens, what we feel we're entitled to that aligns with what we want in life and that we even think we deserve. And we take that and we parade that around as Christianity. We parade that around as what it means to follow Jesus. And when we're running around under that flag, that's more about us and less about Jesus, the world looks at us and they don't see the power of Jesus. They look at us and they're supposed to see Jesus, right? The church. But when we're divided and not unified, when we're not showing love, they don't see power, they see weakness and division. And a world unified with sin does not fear a Jesus that's weak and divided. See, I think our problem is submission to Jesus. Peter says, most important of all, continue to show deep love for each other, for love covers a multitude of sins. I know that sounds harsh and judgmental, but here's where Peter connects the judgment thread that, that started in the beginning. Remember, he said that everyone will be judged. And he kind of takes that and he draws a line to the end here. <clears throat> Excuse me. And he says in verse 17, the time has come for judgment and it must begin with God's household. So at what point do we own the fact that it's not 2,000 years that makes a difference between First Peter and now? It's not some kind of like privileged hindsight or understanding that we have today 
versus what they had. Maybe it's complacency. But maybe we're missing the point with submission. I know. I started out showing you pictures of broken toes, and now I'm stepping on them. But God's been stepping on my toes all week. (laughs) But God's word does more than step on our toes. It dislocates our desires and replaces them with his will as we submit to Jesus. So what can you do with this? What's the action step? It's easy. Ask God to show you what areas of your life you're not submitting to Jesus. Easy, right? Easy to ask not so easy to respond to, especially if we're listening, truly listening to God and waiting for his response to us. Look, suffering in our context today may not look like staring down death for Jesus, at least not for us sitting in this room. Now, that can't be said for, the, for a good chunk of our world. Just ask believers in Afghanistan or much of the Middle East or Africa, or Asia. But for us sitting here today, it may not look like staring death down in the face for Jesus. Let's be careful that we don't try to manufacture suffering. We can't, right? But it's important that Peter mentions it, and not just Peter, but Paul, and the rest of those who follow Jesus. Because God gives us this idea that it won't be something that we can separate from following Jesus. So here's something we can hold on to and use as a gauge and a measure for where we are in our submission to Jesus. Suffering for Jesus is a thermometer that measures our submission to Jesus. It's what Peter lays out. And living for comfort is the opposite of living willing to suffer. So the question is, how hot is that thermometer running for us? Because if we're submitting to Jesus, our life isn't going to look like we're living for comfort. And that's uncomfortable. But I'm not saying that following Jesus is a life full of misery. Check this out. This is where we'll end. Verse 13, Peter says, Instead, be very glad when you suffer. For these trials make you partners with Christ in his suffering." So that you will have the wonderful joy of seeing his glory when it's revealed to all the world. But it is no shame to suffer for being a Christian. Praise God for the privilege of being called by his name. For the time has come for judgment and it must begin with God's household. And if judgment begins with us, what terrible fate awaits those who have never obeyed God's good news. So if you're suffering in a manner that pleases God, keep on doing what is right. And trust your lives to the God who created you, for he will never fail you. I don't know about you, but that's what I want. I want Jesus to call me a partner in his suffering. Peter reminds us that judgment is coming for everyone. No one escapes the judgment of God. But when I meet my God face to face, I don't want him to see the, the failures of me trying to connect to him. I want him to see Jesus and my partnership with Jesus, even through suffering. And as we submit to Jesus, 
the world around us sees the good news of Jesus in us. And because of that, they have an opportunity to respond to the invitation of Jesus to submit to him and to gain new life. So let's pray. Lord Jesus, we all know what suffering feels like. None of us here today have lived a perfect life. Lord, if we were able to feel the cumulative weight of suffering that we've all experienced, even in just this room right now, it would be more than any one of us could bear. But Jesus, all of that combined wouldn't begin to touch the suffering you experienced as a perfect God who destroyed sin through the suffering that you found on the cross. It's not the physical pain that you experienced that was the worst, Jesus, but Rather, it was the emotional and spiritual pain that you took on as you took on the sin of all humanity. You shouldered the responsibility of our sin and you became the sacrifice. Jesus, if you could suffer like that for us, help us today to be willing and ready to give up our desires and to suffer for your namesake. Jesus, help us to submit every part of us to you today. Because when we submit all of our lives to you, as Peter says, above all else, we love each other. And then the world will see the power you have, Jesus, through living in and through us. So make us your partners today, even in your suffering. It's in the power of your name, Jesus, we pray.